My name is Ben Lafort, and I am the host of the Making of a Millionaire podcast, where each episode we are going to be discussing a new personal finance concept, and I'm going to discuss how that concept can help improve your life. So if you're ready to get going, let's start the show. Hey guys, Ben here from Making of a Millionaire. In today's episode, I want to discuss why it makes sense for me to be 100% invested in stocks, but why it may not make sense for you. Because after all, personal finance is about your personal situation. One of the most important investment decisions you will ever make is how you balance your portfolio. Now, what do I mean by balance your portfolio? I'm simply talking about how much of your total investments are you going to allocate to risky assets like stocks and less risky assets like bonds. So most financial advisors would make a recommendation that based on what they call your risk tolerance and your years to retirement, that you have a certain amount in stocks and a certain amount in bonds. The idea of that thinking is that if you have a long enough to, uh, time horizon until you retire, if you're heavily invested in stocks right now and the stock market were to crash, you'd have plenty of time for your investments to recover. So the more time until you have to withdraw these investments, the riskier you can afford to be. Now, that conclusion tends to be, uh, you know, that the younger you are, the more you should weigh your portfolio to stocks. While that generally I don't disagree with, uh, it has, uh, you know, I put a little twist on, on this as well. It's not just, you know, I do agree that younger people um, probably should weight more of their investments towards stocks, but not necessarily because of the time that um, for, for the stocks to recover if it were to crash. For me, it's more about how many paychecks you have left in your life. So the most rational way to approach the asset allocation decision is based on what economic nerds like me would call your quote unquote human capital, which is simply a fancy way of saying your ability to earn a paycheck. How many paychecks do you have left? Meaning like how, how much longer are you gonna be in the workforce? And what level of job security um, does your income have? And how correlated is your job security to the stock market? So in the rest of this episode, I'm going to break down why for me, the three factors that explain why I should be 100% invested in stocks, but we're also going to, you know, pause and have you reflect on if, if, you know, the same factors apply for you or not to kind of help you decide or help you um, consider your asset allocation. So the three factors for me that, that make sense to make it make sense for me to be 100% invested in stocks are number one. My wife and I each have high job security and highly predictable income. Number two, we are lucky enough to have a defined benefit pension. Both of us have defined benefit pension through work, which means our retirement income will be also very secure and extremely predictable. And number three, we're relatively young at 32 years old. That means I have a lot more uh, income to collect. I have a lot more paychecks to collect. And as we already covered, you know, those paychecks that I have to collect are, are fairly secure and extremely predictable. So let's dive into each of these topics a little bit more, starting with your level of job security and its correlation to the markets. 
So if here's my book recommendation of the week. If you have not read um, the book called Are You a Stock or a Bond by Moshe Molesky, butcher names. I apologize. I know he'll never listen to this, but apologies. That was that was bad. But the book is Are You a Stock or a Bond? I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, that book challenges the readers to consider if their human capital is high risk, high reward, like a portfolio of stocks would be, or if it provides a predictable fixed income similar to a bond. Here's the easiest way to think about that question. If you, here's the most stark example, rather. If you own a business or you're a 100% commission sales job, your human capital would look like a portfolio of stocks, right? There's no limit to the potential returns. You can have extremely high growth in your income, but it could also come crashing down to zero for a prolonged period of time. On the flip side, let's say you're a tenured professor at a university your human capital would look like a bond. The same amount of money hits your bank account each month with a small uh, chance, very, very small chance of getting fired if you have tenure, but you do have a cap on your potential earnings. So it's a fixed income, much like a bond. So if your job is high risk, high reward, your human capital acts like a stock. If you have a relatively high job security, predictable pay raises, and low correlation to the stock market, meaning if the stock market crashes, you're probably not going to get laid off. Your human capital acts like a bond. So how your human capital, let's talk about how your human capital should impact that asset allocation. You know, how should your human capital dictate how much should be invested in, in bonds or in stocks? So think of your human capital as either a stock or a bond can help us in deciding how much of our financial capital to allocate to stocks or bonds. So if your human capital is a stock, if you have a super risky job that is tied to performance of the markets, right? If you work in, say, financial services and stock market crashes, your job security could be at risk. So it, it makes sense in that case to allocate more of your financial capital to bonds or some other fixed income asset that's not correlated with the markets. That way, um, if you have some you have some income to fall back on in case you know you lose your job when the market crashes, because you don't want the market to crash, um, your assets all be tied up in the market. You've lost the value of your assets, your financial capital, and then you also lose your human capital at the same time. That's so people go bankrupt. But if your human capital is a bond, if you're a teacher, if you work for the government, if you're a professor, um, it might make sense to allocate more of your human, or your financial capital to stocks because you're, you're likely not going to lose your job as a result of a market crash. And having, but you do have a kind of a capped income on what you can make from your job. So having a certain amount allocated to uh, stocks, having more of your financial capital in stocks provides you that potential growth and upside that you're not getting from your human capital. So as I've stated already, my wife and I, uh, we both have high levels of job security and we know exactly how much money we're going to make every, every year. So our human capital is very much like a bond. Both of our human capital is like giant bonds we're sitting on, which means we probably should be overweighted uh, in our financial capital towards uh, stocks. 
Um, now, when I say overweight to stocks, that doesn't mean that this one factor or any one factor would justify us being 100% into stocks. And, and that's where the other two factors that I'm considering come into play. But stop in and ask yourself this question. Does your job security impact your investment decisions? Do you even think about uh, your level of job security when you're making investment decisions? Uh, if you're not thinking about it, maybe you should because there might be more risk. Um, if you have lower level job security, you might be a lot more risk if you're too heavily into stocks. So certainly just something to pause and consider. Now, the second factor, my wife and I each have defined benefit pensions through our work. And not only, so not only does our human capital look like a bond, but our retirement income is a giant bond. If you're unfamiliar with how defined benefit pensions work, it's essentially a retirement savings tool that provides employees a guaranteed stream of in passive income in retirement. So this is, you know, uh, very much in contrast to a defined contribution plan, like a 401k, or if you're in Canada, if you have like a March matching RRSP. These help uh, employees accumulate assets, but they leave it up to the employee to figure out how to convert those assets into income in retirement. So th the headline would be a defined benefit pension is like a giant bond, whereas a defined contribution retirement plan is more like a stock, um, assuming you're investing in, in stocks in the, in the DC plan. So once again, my wife and I are overweighted to bonds because we both have pensions. So our human capital looks like a bond. Our retirement income looks like a bond. So we're starting to get pretty overweighted into bonds uh, as, as it is. And here's another really important point. Our human capital outweighs our financial capital. Uh, because remember, uh, I, I said we're both 32. That means we're relatively young. We have decades left to work. That means the current value, the present value of our human capital is worth a lot more than our current financial capital, which makes sense. That's how kind of life works, right? If you're younger and working professional, you probably don't have a lot invested in the stock market or in bonds, um, but you have a lot more paychecks to collect. So the, the present value of your human capital is huge. Whereas if you're 64, uh, you probably don't have many paychecks left to collect, certainly not as, as many as you did at 32. Um, but hopefully by this point, you have been investing your whole life and you have a, a large portfolio of financial capital and you're getting ready to transition from living off your dwindling human capital to, to moving off living off your financial capital. So that's that's the other reasons because our that we're invested in the stocks 100% because our human capital looks like a bond and we have a lot of it, right? We, If we were to actually do the present value of our human capital, uh, my wife and I combined, it would be in the millions. So it's like we're sitting on millions in, in hypothetical bonds that we have yet to collect. And the same with our pensions. That's that's a growing bond that, that uh, we're going to be able to collect in retirement that, that grows every year as we contribute into the plan. So when you take all those things into consideration, the... The fact that our um, our human capital looks like a bond, the fact that our retirement income looks like a bond, and the fact that we have so much time um, to collect more paychecks, more bond-like coupons over the years, it makes sense for us to be pretty heavily weighted into stocks. Um, and then the last thing I'll add that I haven't really mentioned yet too is, is that we also have the temperament to be invested 100% in stocks. So everything I've talked about 
so far has been how an economist would look at this situation. And an economist would assume people are perfectly rational and they're not going to make fear-based decisions when the market crashes. That's not the case for everybody. If you are someone who's who's likely to panic and sell if you have a large holdings of stocks and the market crashes, you don't want to sell at the bottom. And if you think you might, maybe you invest less in the stock market than than maybe the rational uh, rational person might because you know having a bunch of stocks isn't very helpful if you're going to sell at the worst possible time. So here are four questions that you should ask yourself when considering how much to invest in stocks and bonds. Number one, does your human capital act more like a stock or like a bond? Number two, if you're lucky enough to have a workplace retirement plan, because many don't, does that plan act like a bond? So is it a defined benefit pension or like a stock? Is it a defined contribution plan where you have to invest the money yourself? And number three, what is the present value of your human capital? Or at the very least, ask yourself, how many working years do you have left? How many more paychecks are you going to collect? And the fourth and final, do you have the temperament to be heavily invested in stocks? You know, how likely are you to make a fear-based decision when the market goes in the tank? So if you're a 22-year-old government employee with a divine benefit pension and who's, who's cool as a cucumber when the market crashes, you probably want to be overweighted to stocks. If you're a 64-year-old uh, 100% sales commission who gets really nervous when the market gets volatile, you probably want to be overweighted to bonds. For the most of people listening, you're going to be somewhere in between those two polar opposite realities. Um, so there is no one way to, to decide. But uh, just as a general rule, the younger you are, the more you should be invested in stocks. You know, the more uh, your human capital and your retirement income looks like a bond, the more you should be invested in stocks and, and vice versa. But what I really want you to think about is those four questions and just start to think about these things um, as, in relation to how you are investing right now. So let me know what you think about that idea. I'd love to uh, discuss this. Go on to uh, Making a Millionaire, um, ask us a question, join the Facebook group, put a link to that below. And if you haven't already, sign up to my weekly newsletter where I am sharing a detail. I go geeky into detail every Tuesday morning on a personal finance topic. That's going to do it for me this week. I will talk to you guys again next week. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It should not be considered financial or legal advice. Not all information will be accurate. Consult a financial professional before making any major financial decisions.